Hi there and welcome to Global Heart Church. Uh, I'm Jared Keane, the senior pastor, and wherever you are tuning in from around the world today, really, really hope and pray that in our planning of this message that it's going to really inspire you for the great journey that you are on and uh, for the great calling that you have in your own life. So enjoy the message and really pray that it's a blessing to you today. Amen. Beautiful. Why don't you take your seats and hey, can we uh, give the band a huge thank you for leading us beautifully in worship. It's so good to be in the house of God. And uh, I I can sense that you feel that too. Uh, He is absolutely here tonight. Maybe you are already experiencing something of that. And uh, we are coming around the Word of God now. I am going to share a few things. I have prayed that they will be helpful. But uh, even if they're not, reality is uh, the God who made you and sees you and knows you uh, is here. And He has the capability to speak right to your heart, your mind, your life, your circumstance. So uh, get ready. And if you would like to, why don't you just take a second to invite him to do just that and speak into your reality this evening. Uh, You can do that by uh, speaking to him in your mind. You can whisper under your breath. No one's going to think you're weird. I'm asking that of him uh, myself, even as I talk right now. Uh, Whatever you need, maybe you need comfort tonight. Maybe you need conviction, anything in between. He knows and uh, he is ready to get to you. All right, so we are in a season of talking about wisdom and how wisdom builds our lives, it builds our families, our communities, it builds the house of God. And tonight we are going to talk about having wisdom in a part of life that is impossible to avoid, impossible to get away from, and that is wanting. Wisdom in the wanting. It's a very, very human thing to want stuff. Uh, to desire. We see this in literally everyone, everywhere, all the time. Even in little babies and little children, you know, they might not have the capacity to tell you what they want with their words, but they can certainly tell you with their behaviour or their cry when you take the thing away from them that they like. Two of the biggest questions that our culture teaches us to ask ourselves are, how do I feel and what do I want, exactly. And so we learn even from a very early age to live our lives in the pursuit of the things that we desire. And there are layers to this, right? There are good wants, bad wants, surface level fleeting wants and like deep wants in the core of you that never really change over a lifetime. And sometimes there are things that we might say or think that we want, but are actually different to things that we really want deep down. And then our actions betray us and tell the truth. Maybe like when we tell everyone that we are really wanting to be single for a while and focus on ourselves and be content, but then three weeks later, we're posting a date night on Instagram. (laughs) Or when we tell everyone that we are jumping on this latest health trend that we're going to take really seriously, but our bank statements would reveal how many times we've been through the drive-through that week. (laughs) Point being, we want things, right? We all want things some good and godly, some unhealthy and even destructive and everything in between. We're human and we want. Uh, So if wanting is an inevitable part of life, what does it look like to want with wisdom and to want in a way that isn't going to bring harm to our lives, but is going to bring flourishing and help us to live a life that is rich and meaningful and significant in the eyes of God? 
Our culture certainly has some suggestions for what we should do with our wants. There is this very uh, modern Western narrative that tells us to fulfil and pursue and indulge our wants. Whatever we desire has to be the best thing for us, has to be what we need and therefore we ought to go after it and try and attain it with all of our energy. As I'm sure we have all experienced by this point in time, sometimes doing that and going after we want can be incredibly exhilarating and wonderful. But other times it can be really, really disappointing when we don't get the thing or maybe we get it and then it's taken away from us. Or even worse, sometimes we can achieve it, attain it and find that it's empty or that it's really hard or that it's just not quite what we thought it was going to be. So what I would like to put to you tonight is that there is a better way. Uh, It's the way of Jesus, the way of the God of the Bible. And we're actually going to explore it through a story found in the Old Testament, uh, in the book of 1 Samuel, uh, about the mother of the prophet the book is about, and her name was Hannah. And now this story starts uh, with a family uh, of a man named Elkanah, who is described uh, in the Scripture as a godly man. Now he had two wives, Peninnah and Hannah. And I realise that that seems contradictory to the notion of him being a godly man, but we're going to get to that. And uh, the one wife, Peninnah, she had a number of children, but the other wife, Hannah, had no children. And this really broke her heart because it was the biggest want in her life to be a mother. And uh, this want had gone unfulfilled for a very, very long time. Now we're going to read the story, but before we get into it, we'll just touch on a couple of little context things so we know we're um, on the same page and we understand the story properly. So firstly, this portion of the Bible that we're reading tonight, it is a narrative, it's story. So it is a true story, it is history, but it's story nonetheless. So other parts of the Bible, they tell us directly how to live and what to do. This part is telling us an account of what was. So that means it's not necessarily telling us what should have been, it's just telling us what existed at the time. And in the ancient Near East where this scripture is set, uh, polygamy was what was. So just so we all are on the same page, the Bible is not affirming that, it's just recording it, it's telling the story. And in fact, when you read the Bible of all of the examples of polygamy throughout it, uh, none of them are marked by health or flourishing, all of them are marked by conflict. And so we're actually able to perceive God's intent for health and for flourishing healthy monogamous marriages, even as we read about ones that weren't. Uh, But this is also beautifully, this is an indicator of the nature of our God who meets people where they're at and not where they should be. So when we read about things like this in Scripture, it's not a reason to reject it as um, irrelevant or outdated like our culture might tell us, but to actually see, okay, this is the invitation of a God who is drawing near to me and to you, just as He did to the people in that story, no matter the state of their heart or their mind or their life. So it gives us hope. Uh, And secondly, the big want in this story is that Hannah desired children really badly. I think we understand that. We don't need to talk about why it was painful that she couldn't have them. But just to add some weight to her experience, in her society, we're looking at an agrarian economy, which means that the role of women is literally to have babies, particularly boys, so they can go out into the field, work really hard and generate wealth for the family. So basically... uh, This means that Hannah, and again, not necessarily what should have been, but what was. And all this means is that Hannah was missing out not only on her desire, but also on the thing that was giving her life meaning and purpose and significance. So it made her life devastatingly painful. 
Okay, now let's read. Uh, 1 Samuel 1, 3 to 8. Year after year, this man, Elkanah, went up from his town to worship and sacrifice to the Lord Almighty at Shiloh, where Hophni and Phinehas, the two sons of Eli, were priests of the Lord. Whenever the day came for Elkanah to sacrifice, he would give portions of meat to his wife, Peninnah, and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her and the Lord had closed her womb. Because the Lord had closed Hannah's womb, her rival, Peninnah, kept provoking her in order to irritate her. This went on year after year. Whenever Hannah went up to the house of the Lord, her rival provoked her till she wept and would not eat. Her husband Elkanah would say to her, Hannah, why are you weeping? Why don't you eat? Why are you downhearted? Don't I mean more to you than ten sons? All right, we'll just pause again. A couple of quick things. So firstly, what this story is telling us is not that every example of a woman who couldn't have children or every example of a bad and painful thing happening in life is a direct result of God setting that in motion. So it simply tells us that this situation was. In this story, God closed Hannah's womb for a purpose. We read that very clearly. But what that means for us is not that we should assume that every bad thing that happens is God acting. It means we can expect there may be times in our life where God will allow pain and difficulty for our own good and for the glory of His name. But also there could be so many other reasons why bad things are happening. We live in a very broken world, mess everywhere. I'm inflicting pain, you're inflicting pain. So uh, we don't need to oversimplify or over-spiritualize suffering because that won't help us to know the reality of the beautifully good and kind God that we serve. Um, And we see here that Elkanah is saying, why are you sad? Am I not enough for you? I love you. Doesn't that mean more than kids? And we can read this in a couple of different ways. Uh, As one commentary I read suggested, maybe he is being a well-meaning and yet somewhat insensitive male, uh, trying his best to encourage her, but not really understanding the pain that she's in or the fact that she has desires that he can't fulfill. Or maybe, and I I prefer this, maybe we can read Elkanah's words as a representation of what God himself might say to Hannah. Hannah, do you not have everything that you need in me? Am I not enough for you? We'll carry on. Once they had uh, in verse nine. Once they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh, Hannah stood up. Now Eli the priest was sitting on his chair by the doorpost of the Lord's house. In her deep anguish, Hannah prayed to the Lord, weeping bitterly, and she made a vow, saying, "Lord Almighty, if you will only look on your servant's misery and remember me, and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and no razor will ever be used on his head." which is an odd vow that we will get to. And she kept on praying to the Lord. Uh, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was praying in her heart and her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. Eli thought she was drunk and he said to her, how long are you going to stay drunk? Put away your wine. Not so, my Lord, Hannah replied. I am a woman who is deeply troubled. I have not been drinking wine or beer. I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. Do not take your servant for a wicked woman. I have been praying here out of my great anguish and grief. And Eli answered, go in peace and may the God of Israel grant you what you have asked of him. She said, may your servant find favour in your eyes. And then she went on her way and ate something and her face was no longer downcast. So essentially, Hannah here is saying, God, I am so desperate. I want this child so badly. Please just give him to me and I will give him straight back to you. 
The implication being, if God was to give her the son she wanted, she was going to dedicate him back to God as a Nazarite. And to be a Nazarite was to make this lifelong vow of consecration to God. It involved never cutting your hair, uh, which is what the razor was about. But more importantly, it would be this radical life. And that meant that Hannah would never have the joy of raising her son because he would go and live with Eli the priest, serving God for all of his days. So imagine wanting and desiring something so deeply that you are in a depressive state and unable to eat and you say to God, please just give it to me. I'm going to give it straight back to you. It's a little bit like, what's the point of that exercise, right? We'll pick up in verse 20. So in the course of time, Hannah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She named him Samuel saying, because I asked the Lord for him. Verses 24 to 28. After he was weaned, she took the boy with her, young as he was, along with a three-year-old bull, an ephah of flour and a skin of wine and brought him to the house of the Lord at Shiloh. When the bull had been sacrificed, they brought the boy to Eli and she said to him, pardon me, my Lord, as surely as you live, I am the woman who stood beside you praying to the Lord. I prayed for this child and the Lord has grown granted me what I asked of him. So now I give him to the Lord. For his whole life, he will be given over to the Lord and he worshipped the Lord there. And then in the next chapter, we go on to read that each year when Hannah would come to the temple to visit, uh, to worship God and also to visit her son, she would make him a little coat and the prophet Eli uh, uh, blessed her and prayed that she would have more children. And she eventually had three more sons and two daughters which is a very beautiful story. I used to read it often as a child and think it was uh, very cool with absolutely no concept of Hannah's pain and what it cost her to give that little boy back to God. And even as an adult, I can understand a little bit better, but I still have you know, no concept of that level of sacrifice. And we kind of have to ask, like, what drove her to say and do such a thing? And if we're talking about wisdom in our wanting, why on earth are we choosing this story? to take notes from, rather than a much more straightforward, hey, I prayed and God answered that prayer straight away and that was great kind of story. We'll find out. If we take a look at Hannah's prayer, we see an order. Lord Almighty, if you will only look on your servant's misery and remember me and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life. So the prayer starts with Hannah identifying who she is talking to, the Lord Almighty, then identifying who she is, his servant, and then identifying her want, a son, in that order. Hannah has a want, a desire, it is all consuming, it's preventing her from functioning healthily, she can't eat. But when she comes to God, she doesn't start with that. She starts with acknowledging Him and His might. That's number one. And now let's be clear, that's not a fake thing that she's doing, right? She's not like putting on her Sunday best smile and coming demurely to God, pretending to be this pretty little religious picture. She is weeping bitterly. She seems drunk, you know, which implies she's a bit out of control. She's coming vulnerable. She's coming with this posture of intimacy towards God. But she does not open with her issue. She begins by declaring who God is. Lord Almighty, the God who is sovereign, the God who is over all powers in heaven and on earth, the one who is undergirding history. And church, this suggests to us that when we bring our wants before God, starting with who He is and not the wants themselves, we're setting ourselves up to pray with the correct perspective.
There is a version of modern faith that will encourage us to shrink our understanding of God down and put Him into a little box where we get to decide who He is based on what He does for us. So yeah, God can be good when my wants are being met, but if there's pain and suffering around, then no, of course not, He can't be good. But we're really getting into dangerous territory when we forget that the God of the universe does not owe us anything. And in fact, He's already given us everything in suffering love, His death, His resurrection that has given us our salvation if we choose it. No matter what happens, He is worthy of our reverence and our awe. So the wisdom of Hannah here is not in denying her want because she absolutely brought it, but after acknowledging the reality of God is bigger than her personal desires. All right, so secondly, after acknowledging who God is, Hannah acknowledges who she is, a servant of God. That's number two. A while ago, I heard someone talking about how they live their life, anticipating that one day uh, God will say to them, well done, good and faithful servant, like Jesus talks about in Matthew. Uh, And they emphasised good and faithful servant. Not good and faithful CEO or good and faithful pastor or good and faithful engineer or teacher or business owner or whatever it is that you do. Not because those things don't matter, but they're just not our identity or our metric for success before God. So how could Hannah give back to God the things she wanted most? Perhaps because she understood that her identity was a servant of the Most High God and that nothing she could have in or own in this world belonged to her anyway. Ultimately, it's all His. Perhaps she understood that the call of a servant, the call on all of us, is to lay down every part of our lives as a living sacrifice for Him. It's Romans 12. Might I suggest, church, that part of our problem with unmet wants is that we are frequently praying for things that we have no intention of ever offering back to God. Because here's the thing, just as Samuel did not ultimately belong to Hannah, just as her own body didn't ultimately belong to her, your own body doesn't belong to you and nor mine to me. Your family doesn't belong to you or your friendships or your money or your intellect or your skills or the strengths of your personality. Romans 11 says, we actually sang this, uh, for from Him and through Him and for Him are all things. James 1, every good and perfect gift comes comes from above, coming down from the Father. Everything that you and I have is a gift from God. And when we choose to steward those gifts for His glory, we step into a life that is more rich and more fulfilling and more satisfying than any life we could construct for ourselves. But... Thirdly, what is beautiful is that after identifying who God is, Almighty God, and then identifying who she was, His open-handed servant, Hannah still brought the want in her heart. She still asked for the Son in the correctly prioritised order, but she asked and she asked wholeheartedly. That's number three. And so we can think if Hannah had such an open hand, such an understanding that God was better than anything he could give her, if God was better than a son, that she, so um, to the point that she was willing to give her son back to him, then why not just be settled with that? Why not just leave it there? Why not just be content with God without ever falling pregnant in the first place? Because if God is really better than anything else, then surely Hannah would have been okay. And he is, and she would have, But she still asked the same God who was the God of Abraham, who gave Abraham Isaac after 90 years of Sarah's barrenness, because Hannah knew that God is the God who can and the God who does, because He's the God who loves. 
He is characterised by his loving kindness. And this is the wisdom of Hannah here. She knew that she could ask. She knew that she could come with her want to the personal, intimate, relational Lord that she loved and served. So high faith, open hand. Big request, humble heart. He's a God who did, the God who can, and the God who does. So church, there are things that we want, right? We're human. But are we holding wisdom in our wanting? Uh, We can put a visual up um, on the screen to kind of compare a little bit Hannah's version versus the way of the world. The way of the world, the way of our culture is that we hold our wants starting not with who God is, but with ourselves. So I don't acknowledge God, I just acknowledge what I want. I want a successful career, I want a big family, enough money to build the life that I want. And then over time, we become entitled to those things that we want, or we feel entitled to them. If life is all about fulfilment and happiness and pleasure, then why shouldn't I have those things? Why don't I deserve them? And so we go after what we want, we work really hard, or not so hard, depending on what it is that we're chasing. And we attribute our time and our energy and our resources to getting what we desire. And then when it doesn't happen and it doesn't come through, we might be found disappointed. This might be, you know, soul crushing and devastating. We might turn to coping mechanisms to medicate that only harm us in the long run. Or maybe we do get what we want and everything is wonderful for a little while, but then we find that it's not long before the dopamine's kind of worn off and we fix our eyes on the next thing and the process starts again. But the way of wisdom, the way that Hannah has demonstrated in the book of Samuel is that we start by acknowledging who God is. Mighty God, He set the world in motion. He's deeply involved in our world and our lives. He knows the very best thing for us. Come what may in this life, He is our ultimate hope. And we submit every part of our life plans and our desires and our hopes and dreams to Him. Whatever you want, Lord, whatever will bring you the most glory. And then we acknowledge who we are. We are just not the main character in the story of history. And in fact, we're not even the main character in our own lives uh, once we have decided to follow Jesus. He is. And He knows that our lives lived open-handed for Him To Him, through Him, with Him is the most fulfilling way for us to live. And then with our priorities straight, our priorities in order, we bring our wants to Him. God who is able, God who does miracle, the God who has been giving barren women babies and providing finance where there is none and healing incurable illnesses and restoring very broken relationships since the beginning of time and continues to do so, this is what I desire. High faith looks like, God, I know that you are able and I know that you are willing. Matthew 7 talks about how much better God is at giving us good gifts than parents are giving gifts to their children. High faith. And an open hand looks like my devotion to you, God, is not dependent on any outcome. No matter what happens, I will love and serve you, come what may. And lastly, we receive His gifts and miracles with gratitude and wonder and with the intention of stewarding them for Him, utilising them to bring Him honour and bring Him glory. Wisdom in the waiting recognises that God is always in the wanting, wanting, waiting, similar, recognises that God is always doing something. Maybe He is training our hearts to only desire things that will be for His glory. Maybe He is changing our very desires themselves. Maybe He is helping us see Him more clearly with less distraction. 
Maybe He is teaching us that we don't actually need the things that we need because He is better. Maybe He's trying to teach us that to have contentment with all of the things He's already given us. Maybe He is preparing our hearts for an incomprehensible miracle that we just wouldn't appreciate if we didn't have to wait for it. We are human and we want, and there is nothing wrong with that. But rather than chasing the wind of desire, rather than being found in the things that we crave, the things we think we need to be okay, there is a better way. Being found in the one who set this whole thing in motion and who can be more trusted with our wants than we can ourselves. And the band can join me. Usually, um, usually they join me before I'm ready for them. Um, and church, in a moment, we are, we're going to pray a prayer uh, to invite Jesus into our world and our life for anyone who is uh, not sitting right with God tonight. But before we do that, I would like to pray uh, a different prayer. Um, so maybe, uh, maybe I'll invite you to close your eyes if you're comfortable to do that. Often when it comes to our wants, we can get stuck in two different places. And the first is a place of entitlement, and the second is a place of lost hope. When we're entitled, we can find ourselves hurt or angry or bitter at God because He isn't giving us what we want. And we've somehow conflated the goodness of God in our lives with a particular thing or or even a person. And so up goes this wall of disappointment between us and God and there's like a disconnect and there's a barrier that hurts our soul and our connection with Him. And alternatively, when we've lost our hope, we can find ourselves maybe not angry at God. Maybe we've accepted our situation, but we've almost sunk into this resignation that He's just not going to work. He's not going to move. He's not going to change or provide in our situation. And we lose the faith to come to Him like Hannah did and ask for the healing or the restoration or the marriage or the child or the provision or the job, whatever it is. And I know that I've spent considerable time living in both of these camps over the years. So uh, if you are living in either of those camps at the moment, why don't you just take this uh, moment in time to tell God that? Why don't you bring it to the forefront of your mind, bring it to Him, your disappointment or your lost hope, your entitlement. And I will just pray and then we'll sing after that. Lord Jesus, we thank You that Your love for us is proven. Thank You that the cross is the reason that we never have to doubt Your deep love for us. So we just bring before You any misconceptions about You, wrong beliefs about Your Word, about what that means for our lives. We bring disappointment, pain, entitlement, lost hope, and we offer them to You. We thank You that You heal and You restore. Thank You that You reveal Yourself in truth. Thank You that You are actually better than we are capable of comprehending and that You're actually diligently and faithfully and lovingly working on us, even when it feels like all the lights are out and nobody's home in our lives. So we give You our unmet wants. Please take them. Please heal them. Please heal our hearts and our minds and help us, Holy Spirit, to hope in You and trust in You, to see You more than we see the things You give us or the things that we wish You had already given us. Help us to know Your love more deeply. Would You have Your way in the deepest parts of who we are and would You change us to become more like You? We ask it all in Your precious Name. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us online today. Really great to have you with us and special thanks to those also who give online. Your generosity is making the way for others to hear the message of Jesus both here in Australia and around the world. If you enjoyed today's message, I'd love to encourage you to share this message with a friend, a workmate, a family member. 
and let's believe together that it will powerfully impact their life for good in Jesus' name. If you're unable to be with us at one of our church locations, uh, both here in Australia and around the world, please join us online every Sunday for Global Heart at Home on YouTube. God bless and have a great week.